Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sink or Be Sunk podcast. I am one of your normal, everyday hosts, Tumlock. And as usual, Helicopter Rescue is over there backing me up. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? I'm going to come to the rescue, Doomlock. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, I come to the rescue when you, when you lose track of where you're going here. <laughs> Let's see how many. Let, let me let me count on two hands the amount of times I've had to rescue when we're talking about. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday was patch day. Seven point six is out, and thus the light cruiser spam has happened, or is happening, will still happen for the rest of the week. Yep. I guess U.S. cruiser light cruisers have arrived, and people are flooding flooding the seas with them because they want them and most people want the uh, tier 10 of course because it's awesome anyways obviously a lot of them are have quite the amount of history behind them especially for a lot of people i think have been thinking about it especially helena uss helena the tier 7 light cruiser but also not only her but there's also the clevelands which i did touch upon a little bit um i believe last episode episode before last as well as the new and up the newly released salem um the up and the upcoming massachusetts and a little ship that nobody really cares about just just some just some uh just some animals up north called moose some they're they're the hm hmcs haida i'm sure some people have heard of that ship i don't know just a barely recognizable name, you know. Yeah, just a little bit. I think I think only some some uh, hockey players might be uh, interested in it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, so I I wanted to touch upon some of their histories, give you guys a little bit of a background on some of the ships that you're sailing on the high seas. Starting off with USS Helena CL CL fifty, the second of the two St. Louis class. No, this is not the Tier 3 St. Louis class, nor the uh, Tier 9 French cruiser Saint Louis. No, this is a different, <laughs> this is the, the other St. Louis. Um, St. Louis class light cruiser of 1939, no, 19, yeah, ni- 1938, 1939, St. Louis class. She was the second one, USS Helena, named after the city in Montana, Helena. She was pr- present at the attack on Pearl Harbor. She actually took some damage for, in in lieu of uh, the Pennsylvania at Pearl Harbor. She was docked um, where you where USS Pennsylvania is usually docked at. 
So when the Japanese attacked, they originally thought that she was Pennsylvania and they started attacking her. She took some damage. Um, she took, I think, one or two torpedoes, but she wasn't severely damaged. She did take, need some repair for a little while at Mare Island, and she lost some of her sailors in that battle, but she kept on fighting. Guadalcanal, she was, she was present. She was escorting USS Wasp when, she, when Wasp was sunk mm-hmm. and rescued about 400 of her officers and men. But the real one of her real shining points was the Battle of Cape Esperance. Where is that located, by the way? Cape Esperance is um, still in still in Guadalcanal, if I remember. Yeah, is it? It's just off Savo. Uh, um, I see. Just north northeast of Savo Island. Um, she was she was present along with her sister Salt Lake City, uh, the USS Boise. Another ship that's actually coming in soon. Uh, the heavy cruiser San Francisco, and uh, New Orleans class, and five other destroyers of several different classes. They were they were there to intercept any Japanese ships approaching Kawato Canal and threaten the convoys of ships heading there to reinforce uh, Henderson Field. All of a sudden, battle formation was let's see, battle formation was assumed, and they. The distance between the ships was pretty short, considering it was nighttime, and it was, and you know, and at the time of this, at the time of this battle, night still belonged to the Japanese. Although we still had, although radar at least allowed them to be picked up from quite a ways away. Mm-hmm. The battle that commenced um, was, if I remember, I'm trying to remember Esperance, as I'm reading it as well. Just remember, ah, yes, this is the one with. Furtaka, Alba, Keiko, and Kinagasa. The Alba class and Furtaka class. The Japanese were taken completely by surprise and were pretty much soundly defeated. Alba was heavily damaged. Furtaka was sunk. Fubuki was sunk in this battle as well. I'm forgetting if Keiko or Kinagasa was sunk in this battle. I'm not seeing it as I'm reading this. Yeah, the, it was it was quite the morale boost after some of the other battle battles of Guadalcanal at the time. Although naval battle of Guadalcanal came right afterwards, and that one was just awful for for the U.S. involved, well, awful for everyone involved. But the old naval battle of Guadalcanal with several of the light cruisers, Helena, Juno, Atlanta destroyers, heavy cruisers, San Francisco was there again, as well as Portland, Indianapolis's sister, and a large force of and of Japanese warships, including Hiei, a uh, Congo-class battleship, and several destroyers and light cruisers, or heavy cruisers, I should say. This is the this is the battle where Akatsuki uh, lit up her searchlights and lit up Atlanta, only to be blasted by every single ship in the U.S. fleet and sunk <laughs> within one minute. A little reminiscent of, you know, spotting an Akatsuki by the cap uh, by an Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in some certain um, videos from some certain community contributor. Yes, <laughs> exactly. The barroom brawl was quite crazy. Um, San Francisco was hit and damaged. Uh, I guess I, I realize also he sister Kirishima was also there. Um, so it was two battleships, not just one. 
San Francisco was was left defenseless as a shell exploded in her bridge and uh, utterly shattering everything and killing killing her captain, most of the bridge staff and the admiral. I remember Portland got some damage, and she was drifting. Several destroyers were hit and attacked. Um, many of the Japanese destroyers launched some very successful torpedo attacks. The battleships, Kirishima was fine after this battle, but if I remember, Hiei was not, and Hiei was sunk later on the day, or actually in the morning, I should say, not day. Atlanta was sunk, as as you may re- as many people will remember. Helena managed. Helena survived, and was let's see. Ah, yes, Helena helped escort Juno and several others from the battle to Espiritu Santo. There's a quote here um, the helms, from the helmsman the Helena when Juno was sunk. My assignment was on the bridge of the pilot house as helmsman. While steering the ship, I had an opportunity to glance at the portholes and saw the condition of the San Francisco and Juno. I remember coming to one of the men in the pilot house that San Francisco looked so beat up she would be lucky to make it back to Espiritu Santo but that the Juno, while she was down by the bow, still looked seaworthy enough to make it back. Shortly thereafter, however, Lieutenant Commander Carpenter, the ship's navigator, who seldom left the bridge, shouted, Hard rudder, hard right rudder, DeLong! I spun the rudder hard right and started singing out the course changes every 10 degrees. I glanced out the porthole as the bow swung past the line of sight of the Juno, who had been in our starboard quarter in the formation. The ship was swinging at a rapid speed, and I had no idea what was going on. Suddenly, Commander Carpenter hollered, Hard left rudder! I reversed the rudder, but the momentum was still carrying the ship to the right. The ship shuddered for several seconds and slowly started to turn left when an immense explosion took place. I glanced at the porthole, and all I could see was a huge cloud in the direction the Juno had been. By this time, Helena was making good time through the water again and began picking up momentum and headed straight for the cloud. The wheel was still her- turned hard left, and I had no idea what, where either the Juno or San Francisco were. Total silence reigned in the pilot house on the wings and on the wings of the bridge. Now it was my turn to shout, Where is she? Where is she? Where is she? I don't want to ram her. Everyone was on the wing of the bridge except for me, and no one other than myself was talking. Finally, one of the sailors stuck his head in the door and quietly said, DeLong, she ain't no more. I didn't fully understand what he meant, but I decided to ease the rudder lest it bang against the stops and get stuck. I was a little late, but in time enough to keep the rudder from jamming. There was a jolt as the rudder hit the stop, but lo- but it was light enough so there was no jamming. The people who had gone outside now filled me in on what happened. The Juno ha- didn't sink. She was blown up. Everyone had seen pieces of her flying through the sky. The large piece was reported to be one of her five-inch gun mounts flying over the Helena. Captain Hoover wisely decided to save all the ships he c- could and decided not s- to stop and look for survivors. No one thought there would be any. Even if there were, the subs might still be around and more ships and men could be lost. Mm-hmm. From the memoirs of George Albert DeLong, helmsman of the Helena. Early on in 1943, she had a measure of revenge when she was assigned several bombardments of Japanese positions in New Georgia in January. She shot down some dive bombers with her, with her, with her U.S. patented VT fuse shells from her five-inchers. <laughs> but then finally, it come, we come to her end in the Battle of Kula Gulf. In the Battle of Kula Gulf, she was assigned to bombard the island of New Georgia. She was also defending, escorting at transports, and moved up to 
moved into Kula Gulf just before midnight on the 4th of July. And shortly after midnight is when her guns opened up for firing. It was six, the, the landing of the troops was successful, but on the afternoon, word came down that the Tokyo Express was ready, com- coming down, and ships were on their way. By midnight on the 5th of July, Helena's group was northwest of New Georgia, three cru- with three cruisers and four destroyers comprising it. Racing down to face them were three groups of Japanese destroyers, a total of 10 of them. Four of them peeled off to accomplish their mission of landing troops. And by 1.57 in the morning, the Battle of Kula Gulf had begun. Helena began blasting away with fire so rapid and intense that the Japanese later announced with all, in all solemnity, that's a hard word to say, that, that she must have been armed with six-inch machine guns. The gunners fired 2,006-inch rounds and 400 smaller rounds during the battle. Ironically, Helena made a perfect target when lit by the flashes of her own guns, which was compounded by the fact that Helena had fired all of her flashless powder in the preceding bombardments and was left with only standard smokeless powder, which produced immense flames when fired. Helena opened fire to port at 1.57 hours. About seven minutes after she opened fire at 2.03 hours, Helena was hit by a torpedo, the first long lance and impacted Helena on the port side just below number one turret, near frame 32, tearing off the bow of the ship. The following explosion by two more torpedoes that hit under a second stack port side, and less than two minutes later, 205, caused catastrophic and terminal damage. The forward movement of the ship, with a mass, along with a massive structural frame damage, caused the ship to twist and jackknife around the damaged area. The ship, still under momentum, went past her own bow and began to flood. The center part twisted 45 degrees, to port before sinking and sank first. It dragged the rear of the ship down until the stern was vertical. About 22 minutes after the ship was first hit, the ship sank at about 22, uh, about 2.25. In the meantime, the crew abandoned ship by going over the side after cutting free all the surviving life rafts into the ocean. Between the forward momentum, the ship's survivors were scattered over several hundred yards at night amidst a raging bat- naval battle. Later, currents would separate them even more. The bow would finally sink later the next day. Helena's history closes with the almost incredible story of what happened to her men in the hours and days that followed. Within 30 minutes, two destroyers, Nicholas and Radford, were picking up survivors of Helena. While many of the cruiser survivors were picked up before morning, many were not saved until 11 days later. As daylight approached, the enemy was in range once more, and again, Nicholas and Radford broke off their rescue operations to pursue. Anticipating air attack, the destroyers withdrew to Tulagi, carrying with them all but about 275 of the survivors. Those who remained, they left four boats, manned by volunteers from the destroyer's crew, who collected those still in the water. Captain Charles Purcell Cecil, Helena's commanding officer, organized a small flotilla of three motor whaleboats, each towing a life raft, carrying, carrying 88 men to a small island about seven miles from Rice Anchorage after a laborious all-day passage. This group was rescued the next morning by destroyers Gwyn and Woodworth. For the second group of nearly 200, the bow of Helena was their life raft, but it was rapidly sinking. Disaster was staved off by a Navy PBY-1 Liberator that dropped life jackets and four rubber lifeboats. The wounded were placed aboard the life ropes, while the able-bodied surrounded the boats and did their best to prepare them, propel themselves toward nearby Columbangara. But wind and current carried them even further into enemy waters. Through the torturous day that followed, many of the wounded died. 
American search planes missed the tragic little fleet, and Comambara gradually faded to leeward. Another night passed, and the morning of the island of Vela Lavella loomed ahead. It seemed the last chance for Helena's men, so they set, headed for it. By dawn, survivors of all three remaining boats observed land one nautical mile distant, and all those who were left were safely landed. Two coast watchers and loyal natives cared for the survivors as best they could and radioed news of them to Guadalcanal. The 165 remaining crew of Helena then took to the, the jungle to evade Japanese patrols. Coast watcher Henry Jocelyn and Robert Firth and Methodist missionary Reverend A.W.E. Silverster with the natives of Vela Lavella were credited in rounding up the scattered survivors who had come ashore. They were instru instrumental in keeping the Japanese at bay and providing relief. Reverend Silverster is still remembered by Frank P. Salozzi, GM2, who wrote the following in 1984. We were met by Reverend A.E. Sylvester, an Australian Methodist missionary. He had been on the island for some months. He was a well-organized coast washer, and with his native crew of Melanesians, he gave reports of Japanese movements of ships and aircraft in the area. He was familiar with the entire island. His scouts reported all Japanese movements on the island. He was in full command. He reported all of his information to the American forces with what means he had. He and the other coast watchers throughout the islands are a tremendous asset to the Allies in winning the war in the Pacific. They alone were against tremendous odds. They offered suffered from lack of food, had little or no means of communication, and always faced capture by the enemy in the Pacific. Surfle's vessels were chosen for the final rescue. Nicholas and Radford augmented by Jenkins and O'Bannon, set off on the 15th of July to sail further up the slot than ever before, screening the movement of two destroyer transports and four other destroyers. During the night of the 16th of July, the rescue force brought out the 165 Helena men, along with 16 Chinese who had been hiding on the island. Of Helena's nearly 900 men, 168 had perished. Later during the investigation of the sinking, the officer and crew of Helena were commended for their actions. In the af As the aftermath of that, Helena lived on when the the Baltimore class heavy cruiser CA-75 was renamed to Helena. She continued to serve on throughout the remainder of the war. And I forget if she was um, one of the ones that was rebuilt as a guided missile cruiser or not. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. But that was but such was the life of USS Helena. I know it was kind of I know it was kind of long and drawn out. I kept grabbing points and stalling. That would be USS Helena, the USS the the six inch machine gun of Vela Gulf. And now we turn our attention to the fighting Clevelands that I touched upon a, an episode or two ago. The Battle of Empress Augusta Bay on November first or second, nineteen forty three, was a quick was a short interesting battle near near the island of Bougainville in Empress Augusta Bay. The naval battle was a result of the U.S. or er, Allied landings on nearby Bougainville in the first action of the camp that of said campaign in World War II. It can also be seen as part of the Solomon's Islands campaign in New Guinea campaign. The forces were Task Force 39, comprised of four light cruisers and eight destroyers. Those four light cruisers were all Clevelands, USS Montpellier, Cleveland, Columbia, and Denver. Versus Cruiser Division 5 of the IJN, two heavy cruisers, two light cruisers, six destroyers, as well as about 100 aircraft. The heavy cruisers of the Japanese consisted of Miyoko and Haguro, the light cruisers of Gano and Sendai, and the destroyers Naganami, 
Hatsukazi, Wakatsuki, Shigure, Samidere, and Shiratsuyu. And the U.S. for the U.S. force obviously were the four Clevelands I mentioned, as well as as well as destroyers Charles, Osborne, Dyson, Stanley, Claxton, Spence, Thatcher, Converse. No, not the footwear. And foot. Okay, then. I wasn't expecting there to be a destroyer named U.S.'s foot. <laughs> um, interesting. And Des Div 45, which was the first group of um, ones I mentioned, Charles, Osborne, Dyson, Stanley, Claxton, was, was, ca- was, was commanded by Captain Arleigh Burke. That's, it. That was, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yes, the very same Arleigh Burke that, are, that the modern destroyer class was named after. But now on to the battle. Because this was very interesting, and if I remember, Wargaming did do a video on this a while back. But to go over the battle, as the Japanese ships sortie towards Cape Torquina, the U.S. were the Americans were already in process of withdrawing most of their landing craft and troops from the area, and assembling them south of Empress Augusta Bay. Twelve transports were ordered to part around six, while four cargo vessels, still only partially unloaded, had remained behind. The mine layers off of Cape Moltke. Ha! I know what that's. I know that name. At least Moltke, anyway. Name of a German battlecruiser, which is named after a place in Germany. This must have been German at some point. Anyway, <clears throat> they were also withdrawn. And meanwhile, USS U.S. Uh, reconnaissance craft had detected um, Admiral Omari's force, and in response to uh, the U.S. forces, which have been shelling the Japanese positions the day before they were steaming around north from around Vela La Vela to intercept um, departing a little bit before midnight midnight on the first slash second of November. They established themselves to block the entrance to the, 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 the U S subsequently then established a blockade of the entrance to the, to the Bay and the Japanese approached them from the Northwest aiming to bombard the invasion force and their transports. And then on the uh, 1.30 on the 2nd, Haguro was struck amidships by American air attack. The resulting damage was, was enough to cause a significant speed reduction for the whole formation. The U.S. made radar contact at about 2.27 on the 2nd of November. Merrill, the commander of Cruiser Division 12, subsequently shook his force out into three columns, sending Burke's destroyers to attack the Japanese northern flake, while the cruisers turned around, turned about to remain out of torpedo range. Something tells me that even that you're probably not out of the long plans torpedo range, but I digress. With the remaining destroyers from Austin's group, Bernard, Commander Berger Austin of Des Div 46, were tasked with launch torpedo attack from the southern flank. From the leading position, the American position, uh, formation, Burke sent the destroyers of Des Div 45 forward for a torpedo attack, and at 2.46, fired a salvo toward the Japanese. Around the same time, the Sendai-led division fired eight torpedoes. Each attack was detected, and both groups maneuvered away from the torpedoes. The Japanese fleet became separated in confusion into three groups. Merrill then ordered Des Div 46 to attack. Unprepared, Foote misinterpreted the command and was separated from the other ships. Despite her captain's best efforts, Foote was unable to effectively rejoin the fight and was in some danger of colliding with other friendly ships. Around 2.50, when it became apparent that Des Div 45's attack failed to achieve complete surprise, the American cruisers opened fire, quickly disabling Sendai, whose rudder jammed. 
After firing her torpedoes, Samidair collided with Shiratsuyu. Samidair and Shiratsuyu were subsequently forced to retire from the battle, with Samidair receiving five-inch hits at three. Miyoko also collided with Hatsukazi, slicing off her bows. Miyoko had significant damage from this collision. Nima Haguro was hit by several cruiser shells, only a few of which detonated. Relying on visual tracking of the targets, with difficulty, the cruisers pinpointed American cruisers and open fire 313. At 3.20, the cruiser squadron fired several torpedoes at Cruiser Division 12. 3.27, numerous hits on Cruiser Division 12 were erroneously reported by Omori, but all actually missed their targets. The Americans were also having problems, as Spence and Thatcher also collided, but were able to continue battle. Foote was struck by a torpedo, which blew off the stern of the ship, leaving 19 dead and 17 wounded. Subsequently, the drifting foot became a navigational hazard to the other ships, adding to the confusion of the battle. Foot was busy the remainder of the game but tried to stay afloat and fighting off enemy air attack. Without fire control radar, the Japanese depended heavily on flares to eliminate their targets. Crew Div 12 repeatedly maneuvered to avoid star shells fired by the opposing ships, but was finally successfully illuminated by brilliant flares dropped by Japanese snooper aircraft. Between 320 and 325, Denver received three 8-inch hits with failed to detonate. Also while closing with the Japanese group of Japanese cruisers in center, Spence was hit at the waterline by a shell that failed to explode. At this point, Japanese fire was heavy and increasingly accurate. In response, the American cruisers began maneuvering behind a smoke screen, which successfully interfered with Japanese gunnery. Throughout the battle, American destroyers experienced difficulty maintaining contact with each other, and several times came close to firing on friendly ships. Underscoring the difficulty in fighting night actions, even when equipped with fire, radar, and IFF systems. A later evaluation of the battle revealed that Des Div 46 missed an opportunity to torpedo the center group of Japanese ships because of uncertain identification. Des Div 46 then turned north and concentrated fire on Sendai. By 3.37, Amori believing that he had sunk a heavy cruiser and worried about being caught in daylight by U.S. carrier aircraft, ordered a retreat. Merrill's cruisers closed to bombard the Japanese forces, withdrawing to the west, engaging Hatsukaze over, at over 1,750... 17,500 yards, but they were unable to score any hits. Around 4 o'clock, Desdiv 45 and 46 engaged in a confused melee with retreating Japanese stragglers, sinking Sendai, and driving off their major northern group ships. Just before 4.13, Spence lost speed due to water in the fuel line and fell out of formation. American ships reported many hits on the enemy contacts. Desdiv 46 Sorry, Desdiv 45 fired on the limping Spence in error, causing no damage. Crew Div 12 and Spence engaged in a Japanese a Japanese straggler at 510. Unable to distinguish between straggler and Spence, the cruiser ceased fire. By 519, Desdiv 45 came to the aid of Spence, which by this time had almost exhausted his ammunition. The Japanese straggler, the ha damaged Hatsukaze, exploded and sank. In daylight, the pursuit was broken off, and all ships, many low on fuel and ammunition, were ordered to rendezvous with a hapless foot, as Merrill was concerned about the possibility of his ships being exposed to air attack. This proved prescient, as, as a heavy Japanese air attack, consisting of over 100 aircraft, was launched from her ball early in the morning, direct on the U.S. ships that had converged around foot. This was fought off with assistance from U.S. and New, and New Zealand shore-based aircraft, with heavy losses being inflicted on the attacking aircraft. Japanese ships scored two hits on Montpellier, inflicting nine wounded. Foot was subsequently towed to Tulagi for repairs. And thus another nighttime barroom brawl had, had commenced and ended 
with the result was a quite a quite a resounding U.S. victory, despite the confusion of the destroyer divisions and the cruiser divisions. But that would be the Battle of Empress Augusta Bay. Time the Fighting Clevelands really had a chance to shine and show their stuff. But now I move on to a ship that probably a lot of people don't re didn't realize originally existed. The USS Worcester, CL-144, of the Worcester-class light cruiser. The last all-gun light cruiser built for the U.S. Navy. And probably, indeed, maybe the whole, maybe the whole world, maybe. No, that would be your sister Roanoke. And no, not Roanoke, Jingles. I still will poke him up for saying Roanoke. <laughs> the Worcester was commissioned June 26, 1948. Basically, she was a design of an AA cruiser. A, a light AA cruiser, but a heavy AA cruiser nevertheless. Her main armament of her of her 12 6-inch six 6-inch six rifles were not only were not only the venerable 6-inch 47 caliber gun that was on every US light cruiser that wasn't an Omaha in in World War II, but they were also dual purpose. Now just imagine that having Six inch guns as your dual purpose guns instead of five inch. You know, even bigger yeah. things to throw at enemy enemy aircraft saying shoo. Not only that, they also she also still had the three inch automatics that that Des Moines is famous for having. The the ever popular uh, seventy six millimeter mark thirty three, thirty four, mark something. But Wusta had an in, had an had an interesting career. Most most of it was more escorting and uh, cruises in the Mediterranean, but she did get her chance to did get a chance to show her stuff um, in Korea when she let's see let me let me get my words straight here. There's no Worcester was subsequently supported the Incheon landing. The daring stroke aimed at outflanking North Korean invaders by a strategic landing behind their lines in South Korea, master, masterminded by, by the ever-popular guy, General, General MacArthur. Worcester screened the fast carrier forces as planes lost, dropped lethal loads on North Korean targets offshore until she was attacked on the 20th to conduct shore bombardment missions as a part of Task Force 95.2. No, not Task Force, TG-95.2, the city of Pahangdang, proceeding to the objective via the straits north of Copart Islands and west of Tsushima. Light cruiser rendezvoused with Helena, three miles off the east coast of Korea and 12 miles north of Pahangdang. Over the two-week days, Worcester patrolled the coast with the task force, relieving Helena of her fire of her fire support duties on the 24th, freeing the cruisers to proceed to Saysabo. While her hel own helicopter was aloft, providing anti-submarine screening, Worcester commenced firing at 8.05, shelling nine North Korean troop concentrations north uh, ashore. Directed by Korean military advisory group personnel ashore, Worcester delivered call fire throughout the day with pinpoint accuracy at troop concentrations and command posts. Relieved by Samuel N. Moore as a fire support ship, Worcester patrolled in company with Brush, DD-745, to patrol to seaward to, to the, of the fire support area for the night. 
was to return the following day and resume fire support duties, adding to the troubles of the already beaten and retreating North Korean forces. Throughout the 25th, Wusta, using the Korean military advisory group KMAG, spotting from the shore, delivered fire support to the advancing UN forces, breaking up communist troop concentrations with their precise six-inch fire. As the ship Warrior Diary once at one point recorded, Spotter reported troops dispersed. KMAG reported that all firing has been very effective and instrumental in enemy retreat. Wusta spent the night hours the next days patrolling eight miles Eight miles of a stretch of coast between Yongha and Ichin, the rapid advance of UN forces on the 26th, obviated fire from Worcester's guns, but the cruiser received word that Brush hit a mine off Tanshan, North Korea, at 1220. Osami and Moore took over the on-call fire support duties in the vicinity. Worcester bent on 27 knots and went to Brush's aid. Cruisermen found Brush down by the bow with a three-degree port list. There are five dead and 30 injured. At 101 on the 27th, Worcester commenced taking on board of the more seriously wounded of the destroyer's company via Highline transfer, eventually receiving 15 stretcher cases, all men suffering from burns by 2028, or 228. The cruiser then altered course to Japan. Later that day, and later that day, took on board four more stretcher patients, six ambulatory patients, and a corpse. At that time, two hospital men who had been transferred from Worcester to Brush tended to the wounded on the destroyer, returned to the cruiser. Proceeding in company with the crippled brush, bolster ARS-38, and De Haven, DD-727, Worcester headed for Sasebo and reached port late in the afternoon of the 29th. She was made f- being made faster booting Sasebo Harbor. Worcester received a warm message from the destroyer that she had aided. With us, you are not only big league, but world champions. Kindness, consideration, and eagerness to help of Worcester ship company will never be forgotten by the brush. The stay in Sasebo was short was a short one for Worcester because she got away on the 30th to return to Korean waters and resume fire support and interdiction activities. Let's see, there's a little there's a little fun, kind of funny tidbit here that I'm trying to find where it is. On the 11th of October, um, the operation truly, truly became an international operation when the destroyer, when the British destroyer HMS Cockade, or Cockade, Cockade? I don't know. The Australian destroyer, HMAS Waramunga, Australian names, <laughs> and the Canadian destroyer, HMCS Athabascan, <laughs> joined Worcester's group, which already included the British light cruiser HMS Ceylon, the heavy cruiser Helena, besides the American warships Roster, uh, USS Rochester, CA-124, Harold J. Thomas, DDR-833, and Maddox, DD-731. And then on the 12th, the big guns of USS Missouri joined, bringing her heavy firepower to the unit. While Moe's helicopter searched the, the bombardment track for mines, the UN force formed up for battle. And then at 11.50, when a shell from an unobserved shore battery fell 5,000 yards short of the group, it apparently signaled at the beginning. Worcester hoisted the blue and white UN flag to the fore truck and commenced firing at, approx- at exactly noon on the 12th of October. For the next, almost the next 90 odd minutes, Worcester's six inch hunt- guns hammered at ironworks and railroad tunnels in the facility. The next day, she extended her list to target, target railroad marshalling yards and tearing up section of track and blasting rolling stock. Of the next few days, Worcester and the ship's company with her, proceeded to rain destruction on targets of opportunity or once on. 
targets that range from railroad marshalling yards to rolling, to rolling stock and adjacent warehouse areas. Also, in 16th, on the 16th of October, in an action reminiscent of the Battle of the Pips in World War II, Worcester, Helena, and accompanying destroyers fired at unidentified radar contacts, blips on the radar screens that approached from the northward. The contacts were probably two flocks of geese. <laughs> <laughs> After that, it was pretty much just more fire support, escorting duties, and then just trips around um, in Oriental waters before she was decommissioned and eventually scrapped. The revolutionary light cruiser that never had a chance to prove herself in her designed role was subsequently broken up for scrap after July 5th, 1972. The next ship that I'm going to is the Salem Witch. I'm sorry, sorry, that's the Tier 4 uh, overpowered uh, CC ship from Halloween years back. <clears throat> the USS Salem, the Tier 10 cru- heavy cruiser of the Des Moines class. She was one of three of them, her sisters being obviously Des Moines and Newport News. Salem herself had a relatively short naval career. Uh, She departed, she went to relieve Newport News as the flagship of the Sixth Fleet in the Mediterranean on 17th of May, 1950. And during this, uh, the first of seven deployments in the Mediterranean as fleet flagship, Salem visited the the ports of the Mediterranean, Malta, Italy, France, Greece, Turkey, Lebanon, and Algeria, and participate in training exercises. Wow, that's the uh, that's the go- join the Navy, see the world part. Yeah. On the twenty second of the of September, she was relieved by Newport News and returned to the U.S. After three weeks of Boston, ha <laughs> funny, Salem joined the Atlantic Fleet for maneuvers, and on the third of January, nineteen fifty one, sailed for six weeks of intensive gunnery training at Guantanamo. She completed her train off from Bermuda and on the 20th of March sailed for Mediterranean to relieve Newport News as Sixth Fleet flagship. And then on the 19th of September, she was relieved by Des Moines and returned to the U.S. for four months of overhaul at Boston. C. Salem sailed on the 1st of February 1952 for a refresher training at Guantanamo and returned to Boston on the 29th of March for brief repairs. On her third Mediterranean deployment, she relieved Newport News again at Algiers. Besides normal port calls and exercises, Salem participated in, oper- in exercise Beehive 2, which involved units of, US- of the United States, British, Italian, French, and Greek navies. She was relieved once again by Des Moines and arrived in Boston on the 9th of October. Hey, that's a good, that's a good day. Very good day. After four months of local operations, Salem sailed for Guantanamo Bay on 24th of January 1953 for training. Returned to Boston on the 27th of February, then sailed for Mediterranean on the 17th of April, and, you guessed it, relieved Newport News as flagship. <laughs> the fourth deployment was marked by exercise Weldfest by an emergency relief work after the 1953 Ionian earthquake, which devastated the Ionian Islands. Sam was the first American ship to arrive on sea and provided relief supplies and assistance from 13th of August until her own stocks ran low four days later. Relieved by Des Moines of the flagship on the 9th of October, she returned to Boston on the 24th of October and entered the shipyard for overhaul. 6th of February 1954, she sailed again for Guantanamo Bay and returned on the 7th after refresher training. She left Boston on the 30th of April and arrived in the Mediterranean 12th of May, again assuming duties as 6th Fleet flagship. She was relieved by Des Moines 
on 22nd of September, returned to Boston, and blah, blah, blah. In October and November of 1954, participated in war games. Um, she did the same thing about going to Mediterranean relieving Newport News again. Um, yeah, that's about it. Salem didn't have too much use. Oh, here's, here's an interesting fact. Salem was used to portray... Ugh, why do they say it on here? The German pocket battleship. Ugh. <clears throat> the German heavy cruiser, Admiral Graf Spee, the 1956 film, The Battle of the River Plate. Although the original German ship had a single triple turret placed forward of the superstructure with the Salem had two triple gun turrets in front of the superstructure. Duh. The original hull number of Salem, 139, was also clearly visible in many exterior shots of Salem. Though the differences between the two ships are explained in the movie by the historic fact that the ship's carpenters often camouflage Graf Spade to resemble foreign vessels. In this case, disguising the Graf Spade as an American heavy cruiser. So yeah, if you ever watch that film, uh, that you're looking at Salem in that film. And pretty much other than that, she really didn't do too much more. Uh, she then became a museum ship in Quincy, Massachusetts. See, the, see, that's the thing. She and Des Moines didn't really do too much, but Salem, Newport News did a lot. Newport News is the one with the history of the Des Moines class. But that's for another time. Because I've still got two more ships over here. And I'm going to... I'm not really going to get through all of their histories. I've spent a lot of time on, on Helena, probably more than I should have. So, Massachusetts. Big Mamie. The, her biggest, her biggest um, claim to fame... Battle of Ca Naval Battle of Casablanca. Early in the morning of 8th of November, the Battle of Naval Battle of Casablanca began. Lying off the city, Massachusetts and the heavy cruisers Tuscaloosa and Wichita, and four destroyers came under fire from four 194mm and 438mm guns in a shore battery at Al Hank. The American ships responded by shelling Jean Bart, an incomplete French battleship. Forced to sail from Saint Nazaire from May, in May 1940 to avoid escaping advancing Axis forces, when engaged, Jean Bart only had one of her two quad turrets installed. The other, having lost its guns to a torpedo attack while in shipment from France, Mass began firing at 17 at 7:04 at a range of 22 uh, 22,000 meters and continued until 8:33 with a seven-minute halt from 7:40 to 7:47. Total of nine full broadsides and 38 volleys, varying from three to six guns, were fired. Five rounds hit Jean Bart. One at 8.06 disabled her operational turret. Others struck docks and merchant ships, sinking two. With help of heavy cruiser Tuscaloosa, mass the next target of French destroyers in the fray, sinking Fogo and Bolognais, or Bolognais, French names, as well as a light cruiser Primagut. Along with shore batteries, she shelled an ammunition dump. Mass was hit twice by the battery at El Hang, but only sustained superficial damage. By the end of the engagement, she had fired 786 of the 800 rounds of 16 inch ammunition she carried, or 98% of her complement. After a ceasefire, she's headed for U.S. For, on the 12th of November and prepared for deployment in the Pacific. And there's that little, uh, there's that little po poke at, at Anyone who still thinks that there should be um, ammo limits in game, <laughs> are you really going to fire 800 rounds of 16-inch ammo in a game? Just think about it. Just divide that, divide that by 30 seconds, and then 
figure out how many minutes that is, yeah, you're probably not going to be able to, uh, yeah. <clears throat> she, she participated in a few, in a few engagements in the Pacific War, mostly AA, um, escorts and engagements, not, not nearly as much as some of her other, some of her sisters or, or the NC, North Carolina class. Of course, nowadays, Mamie is a uh, museum ship in Battleship Cove, and, uh, in Battleship Cove, Fall River, Massachusetts. Go check her out if you've not seen her before. And finally, I, I had to get around to this little little dinky little ship, uh, the Haida. I'm sure someone is excited for. Her. Probably, probably, probably a mouse, maybe. It's. <laughs> I think more than someone is excited for it. Okay, maybe two someones. I kid. HMCS Haida. The lonely surviving tribal class destroyer in the world, and the twin of the twin ship of the of the Buscovita. and not only that, but more recently, she's the flagship of the Canadian Navy, and the fightingest ship of the Royal Canadian Navy, HMCS Haida. Let's see, where's where's your spot? There we go. Haida's keel was laid down by Vickers Armstrong. Limited at their shipyard, Newcastle upon Tyne, in September 29th, 1941. She was launched on the 25th of August, 1942, commissioned into the RCN service in 1943 in August. Come on, commissioning. She was commissioned to the Royal Navy's home fleet. She's among the fleet of destroyers that joined the escort of joined the escort of the convoy JW-54A. Convoy numbers are weird. On November 28th of 1943, Haida was among the destroyer escort for Russian convoy RA-54B, protecting it until it reached Loch U, or U, probably U, on 9th of September without a loss. The convoy then sailed again for Russia on the 20th of December with Haida as a member of its ocean escort. The battleship Scharnhorst was, was deployed to intercept the convoy. While the cruisers escorting the convoy kept the German vessel at bay, Hyde and the other escorting destroyers shepherded the convoy away from danger until the battleship was sunk by a British force. The Battle of North Cape. If you wanted to go check that out. The convoy was attacked by Ju-88 bombers, but were escaped unscathed. But then, after that, we get to the real meat of Hyde's service. On 10th of January 1944, she was assigned the 10th Destroyer Flotilla at Plymouth and took part in Operation Tunnel and Operation Hostile Sweeps of the Bay of Biscay along the French coast of the English Channel. The 10th Flotilla, cruisers Black Prince and Bologna, formed Force 26. On the 9th of the 26th, 25th and 26th of April, Haida, with Black Prince and the destroyers Ashanti, Athabascan, and Huron, engaged the German the 4th Torpedo Boat Flotilla comprising the German Elbing-class torpedo boats T-29, T-24, and T-27. It should be noted that despite the German designation torpedo boat, the Elbings were essentially on par with the mid-sized Allied destroyers by making smaller armament. T-27 was hit earlier and retired more, more relaxed while Haida sank T-29 and T-24 was damaged before making to St. Malo. The 9th of 28th and 29th of April, T-24 and T-27 attempted to move from St. Malo to Brest, carrying destroyers Athabascan and Haida off St. Bro, which were performing a sweep as part of Operation Hostel. Athabascan was torpedoed and sunk in the engagement, and T-24 is credited with sinking her. T-20 Haida was 
ran T-27 aground and set the vessel afire with Shelly. Torpedo boat was later destroyed by MBT and MTB-673. 128 of Athabascan's crew were lost, and Hyde recovered 44 survivors, while 83 members of the crew became prisoners of war of the Germans. Haida continued the Operation Hostile Stories in company with, of sister ship Huron with the leaks we, weeks leading up to Operation Overlord. Tense destroyer flotilla were covering the forces for surface attacks at the western entrance of the English Channel during the invasion of Normandy. On June 8th through the 9th, Haida was part of Task Force 26 Brigade German destroyer, 8th Destroyer Flotilla, comprising of Z-32, Z-24, Z-H-1, and T-24. Northwest of the Aya de Ba, Haida and Huron combined to sink Z-32 in the Battle of Ushant, following the fall of Cherbourg. Cherbourg. The German E-boats were transferred to La Harve, freeing up the 10th Flotilla. Flotilla was then given the role of covering Allied motor torpedo boat flotillas and search and sink missions of German shipping along the French coast. 24th of June, while on patrol of the English Channel off Land's End, investigating a Liberator bomber dropping depth charges on the bomb, Haida and Bridgestore Eskimo dropped their own depth charge attacks after being informed that a submarine had been spotted. After several attacks, the submarine surfaced and attempted to run. Haida and Eskimo began to fire with all, the, with all their guns and sunk U-971. Haida rescued six survivors of sunken sub. On the 14th, 15th of July, 1944, Haida and Boiskavica intercepted a group group of German ships in the Isla de Gros near Lorient. The battle saw two submarine chasers, UJ-1420 and UJ-1421, destroyed, one merchant ship sunk, and two others set fire. On August 5th or 6th, Haida was part of a force engaged in Operation Kinetic Sweep. The force attacked a German convoy north of Isla de Yeux and sank the minesweepers M. 263 and M486, the patrol boat V414, and the coastal launch Otto. During the battle, shell exploded in one Haida's turrets and set a fire, killing two and injuring eight, knocking the turret out of action. Staying in the line of battle, the destroyers were engaged by shore batteries when they attempt to take the second convoy and were forced to withdraw without doing too much damage to the merchant vessels. Haida departed Western Europe 22nd of September for Halifax, Nova Scotia, arriving on the 29th of September. The destroyer returned to Scapaflow mid-January 1945 after refitting to receive a new radar. Haida escorted aircraft carriers in mine-laying operations off Grayson, Norway on, in March and assisted attacks on shipping off Trodenheim, Trodheim on 24th-28th of March. In April, Haida escorted seven anti-submarine warfare vessels from Greenwich, Scotland, designed for Soviet use at Vanga, renamed Severomorsk, in 1951. The destroyer was among the escort for convoy JW-66, set up from River Clyde, and on the 16th of April. Haida experienced one of the last RCA engagements of the Second World War when she escorted convoy RA-66 from Vega from April 29th to May 2nd. The convoy was attacked in transit, and Haida and Huron received near misses from torpedoes fired by U-boats. In the skirmish, two U-boats were sunk, along with the frigate Goodall, and the convoy escaped in a snowstorm. Haida and Huron returned to Scapa Flow on 6th of May and were assigned relief operations at Trodheim's Fjord, Norway, 17th of May. And from the 29th to 31st of May, Haida, Huron, and the cruiser Berwick from the 5th Escort Group were sent to Tr Trondheim to take over custody of surrendered U-boats. Haida, along with Huron and Iroquois, left for Halifax 
Halifax, 4th of June, to refit as part of Canada's contribution to Operation Downfall, the planned but never carried out invasion of Japan's main islands, home islands. They arrived on 10th of June and Haida started a tropicalization refit, but was suspended after the surrender of Japan later that summer. Haida obviously also had Cold War service. She was in res inactive reserve for approximately a year, but she was repaired prepared for reactivation in 47 and underwent refit for updated armament sensors. This involved replacing the main armament with two twin Mark, Mark 16 four-inch gun mounts installed a four forward and a twin three-inch 50 caliber gun mount installed aft. It was given better fire control. One turret was removed um, and replaced by two squid anti-submarine mortars, blah, blah, blah. Haida and her sister ship HMCS Nootka participated in exercises between the RCN's Atlantic Fleet and the U.S. Navy and the Royal Navy over the next several years were the first, and were the first RCN ships to penetrate the Hudson Bay mm -hmm. in the fall of 1948. Haida was involved in assisting the grounding of aircraft carrier HMCS Magnificent off Port Mountain, Nova Scotia in, 19, in June of 1949. In November of 1949, Haida rescued 18 members of the crew of U.S. Of a, of a U.S. B-29 bomber that crashed in the Atlantic Ocean. And that, de and that December, Haida was downgraded to a depot and accommodation ship in Halifax. The opening of the Korean War once again saw Haida activated for war duty. She converged to a destroyer escort and began refit in July of 1950, which saw various new armaments and sensors and communication systems. Recommissioned in, on 15th of March, 1952, and carried the pendant DD-215. Sorry, DDE-215. She departed Halifax on 27th of September for Sasebo and arrived there at 6th of November, passing through the Panama Canal. Haida relieved Nutka on the 18th of November on the west coast of Korea and had an uneventful patrolling perform patrol performing aircraft carrier screenings and inshore patrol missions, returning to Sasebo to replenish. She patrolled off the east of Korea beginning on the 4th of December and took part with the destroyer escort USS Moore in shelling of the railway yard in Songjin, as well as the coastal battery and North Korean troops. On the 18th and 19th of December, Haida attacked an enemy train, but missed the escaping locomotive, which hid, which hid in a nearby tunnel. Thus not joining the exclusive Train Busters Club. <laughs> Haida returned to patrol on January 3rd, 1953, and escorted aircraft carriers as well as performing coastal bombardments. On the 29th of January, Haida entered the Train Busters Club after attacking a train north of Rewan. The destroyer eliminated a second train on 26th of May and also detonated a drifting anti-ship mine on her return to Pangyang-do. She returned to Saitsbo the 12th of June, hiding, heading west through the Suez Canal and arriving in Halifax in July. Haida departed Halifax for second Korean tour on the 14th of December of 43, passing the Panama Canal, arriving in theater on 5th of February 1954. Despite the ceasefire, infractions by North Korea and China were, were occurring, thus the need for naval presence around South Korea. The destroyer departed the Korean theater 12th of September 1954 and headed for Halifax via the Suez Canal once again, arriving 1st of November. Following Korean operations, Haida embarked on a Cold War anti-submarine duties with other NATO units in the North Atlantic and West Indies. May of 56, Haida, accompanied by Iroquois and Huron, visited cities and towns along the St. Lawrence River, making several port visits. 
how does aging hull and infrastructure prove troublesome? And in January of 58, she went into refit for hull repairs and protection for electronic equipment. Further refits in 59 corrected various problems, and she sailed for West Indies in 60. However, further equipment failures, culminating in the failure for steering gear in on April 3rd, forced her to return to Halifax. A hull survey found extensive corrosion and cracking, forcing her to dry dock for the remainder of the year. She undertook further repairs in June and July of 61 after further cracking was revealed in Operation Savvy Seas that March. With the writing on the wall, Haida undertook her last assignment, a summer tour of the Great Lakes. She departed Halifax in April 25, 1963, with a mobile television studio on board. Jen took various public tours and weapons training during the tour. One of the individuals during the tour was a former RCN rating named Neil Bruce. Bruce foresaw that he, she was destined for scrapping and formed Haida Incorporated, with four others as a means of attempting to acquire her for preservation. On April 30, 1963, the ship was paid off for the last time. Haida returned to Halifax and placed with Category C reserved at the Navy base, HMCS Protector, in Sydney. Crown Assets announced that Haida would be scrapped in 1964 as part of cutbacks to the RCN. Haida Incorporated placed a bid of 20000 and won possession on the grounds of restoration. After preparing the ship, the RCN towed the vessel to Maritime, uh, sorry, Marine Industries Limited shipyard in Sorrel, Quebec, where she became a civilian property. Naval Reserve Division HMCS York provided a skeleton crew for Haida as she was towed to Toronto by two tugboats. She arrived at arrived in August 25th, 1964 with a guest of honor, retired Vice Admiral Harry DeWolf, who was the destroyer's first commanding officer. Haida was restored and reacquired pendant G63 while docked at the foot of York Street. She was opened as an attraction in August 1965 at the pier of York Street. Initially, the city of Toronto planned to build a serviceman's memorial park near Prince's Gate near a nearby exhibition place to link with the Haida restoration efforts. Preservation efforts. Haida, the organization Haida Incorporated ran into financial difficulties during the late 60s. The title of the ship was transferred to provincial government for $1. In 1970, Haida was moved to Ontario Place, the west end of the Toronto River waterfront, or returned to attraction until 2002. The vessel was also used as a Royal Canadian Seaconet trading facility. In 2002, at the urge of ha Hamilton, Ontario MP Shayla Copps, Parks Canada purchased Haida from the provincial government and towed her, with great difficulty, from her Ontario place dock to a shipyard at Port Weller for $5 million to refit her hull. She was taken to a new home on the Hamilton waterfront and arrived to an 11-gun salute from 31 Royal Canadian Sea Cadet Corps, Lion, and her 12-pounder Navy field gun on the 30 30th of August 2003. 60th anniversary of her commissioning into the RCN. The destroyer is now a historic National Historic Site of Canada and is a museum ship on the Hamilton waterfront of Hamilton's Naval Reserve Division, HMCS Star. In July of 2006, Haida was twinned with the Polish destroyer Błyskowica in a ceremony in Gidna, Poland. Both ships served in the 10th Destroyer Flotilla during the Second World War. The ceremony was attended by former crew members of both ships and the general public. Ship was visited in 2009 by Prince Charles, Prince of Wales, and his wife Camilla, Duchess of Cornwall. And on June 29, 2010, Government House in Nova Scotia, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, presented Representatives HNCS Haida the World Ship Trust Certificate. In September of 2016, the ship was towed to Hedel Marina to undergo repairs and upgrades. 
repairs took until December 2016 to complete. And finally, in February 2018, Haida was designated as a ceremonial for the Royal Canadian Navy, and she still sits at Pier 9 in Hamilton to this day. And soon shall send sail this, the choppy, shooty, blasty seas of World of Warship seas. Thank you for listening to me babble on about history for quite a long time here. I know I, uh, I, know I can get to talking quite a bit. Like I, I, I will talk quite a long time about history like that. Doom loves his history. Yes. I did learn quite some things <laughs> that I didn't know. Wow. I'm glad you did. I hope I hope my uh, and I hope listeners that my stuttering slash stopping and forgetting where I was wasn't too jarring for you guys. I can only read and talk so fast. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. I have probably worn out my voice, so I shall end off in talking here at least personally. Hell, if you want to say anything more, by all means, go ahead. Yes. Well, uh, thank you guys so much. You know, a lot of the ships that we play in the game are very, especially the ones that are obviously the ones that are are real life that have been made to you know have served um, that have been out in the ocean, and you know sometimes we kind of just need that reminder a little bit, you know, and and think you know there this was a real ship with the real people on board, with a real history. And as you guys know, a lot of the ships that we're receiving right now, you know, the Worcester, the Helena, the Cleveland, they're, they're you know, it's not unlike some of the other branches on the deck tree. They are real ships. And Doom has talked about uh, some of their history and touched upon it. We will do, once in a while, we will do... Um, a history kind of episode and also in our normal episodes sometimes do include a historical aspect a little bit i know some people like some history i know some people like the game you know the game mechanics it's just there's so many people that you know well, what they like and please give us some feedback you know what i mean um if you want to see something or if you don't like something you know tweet at us leave a facebook comment Get in touch with us through the forum, post in the forum. There's so many ways. So I really, really encourage you to, with a podcast, you know, you, while you're driving, you're listening, or, you know, while you're washing the dishes, you're listening, walking the dog or taking a stroll or something. Unlike, you know, a YouTube video where you're sitting right there, you can just leave an instantaneous comment. But, um, I do encourage you guys to get in touch with us whenever you can and make sure to follow the twitter make sure to follow the facebook and stay tuned for more awesome episodes and with that i'd like to say you guys have a good rest of your week and enjoy the patch indeed fair winds of following seas peoples